today I welcome Faye Patton to the In Conversation With podcast ahead of her performance on the 6th of January at Jazz Cafe POSC. Faye and her funky quartet will present an evening of songs from her back catalogue and current and forthcoming releases. It will be contemporary red hot new jazz with a Latin bossa vibe and a vintage twist. Soaring soulful vocals, glittering guitars, blistering piano hooks and a super tight rhythm section. Hello, Faye. Hi, Anna. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Um, yes, cool Yule. And for us pagans, it's more of the kind of solstice, light in the darkness thing. Oh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to it becoming more light. Yeah. yeah. And Happy New Year, I guess, as well. Yeah, not far away. Uh, New Year's Eve tomorrow. Tomorrow. Mm. What are you doing for New Year's Eve? I will be in quiet meditation. I will light my candles. I'll do my tarot readings. I will commune with the universe to set my intentions for a massively good year. How about you? Ah, I wish it was so deep. I'm actually, well, it's deep for me. I'm going to see my cousin who I haven't seen for a long time. And um, we're going to see New in together with him. So that's really nice. That's nice. I thought you'd be gigging, maybe. Many musicians are. Yeah, I, I don't tend to do New Year's Eve really it always feels weird it whatever you do on new year's eve i find feels weird but i don't always love to gig on new year's eve mm. Mm. yeah it's weird it always feels weird it's a weird marking of time yeah yeah i find that if you're gigging on new year's eve you're responsible for other people's entertainment and stakes can be quite high can't they a lot rests on it yeah yep uh, you're right yeah it does and then they all get drunk and then sometimes somebody whacks your instrument and you're like oh my god this is too much yeah we are really looking forward to you playing for us women in jazz media at jazz cafe posk Indeed. you are the first Super. one of the year yes and i was keen to chat to you actually i was really interested about how you would describe your music and new jazz nu jazz yeah, it's not really my fault. I, I blame Juliet Kelly because many years ago she invited myself and Ayana Witter Johnson when we were both sort of starting out to support her at the Bull's Head in Barnes. And she called the evening New Jazz Divas, and that's how she spelt it. And I had been gigging quite a bit and trying to find a definition, and people would hear my music and say, Well, this is already jazz, is it? And I'd say, No, it is jazz. It's it's jazz adjacent. Come on, it is jazz. And they say, no, it's, this, is, this is pop, you know. Um, but I thought if it's good enough for Juliet, then it's good enough for me. So ever since I've thought, okay, it's new, it's new jazz or it's neo-jazz. It seems to work as a genre. Great. Wasn't that handy that she mentioned that? Yeah, thanks, thanks Juliet. <laughs> I was doing, I've been trying to come up with an idea for my show, 2023, and I was chatting to the bass player and he was like, well, don't you mean in motion? And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I mean, sorted. So often other people come up with the idea, what you're trying to... Yeah, well, people, other people can sometimes see you more clearly than you than you see yourself and hear you more clearly. So that stuff like that is useful, isn't it? Really nice. Yeah. So what? It, how would you describe your musical style? So, it, so it's new jazz. Yeah, it's... Okay, so it's very kind of groovy, um, but it's sort of pop music. In a sense as well i have i have good lyrics i have good love songs i have good melodies i have good hooks i know how to write a decent bridge and i i grew up in the era of pop and jazz being very much so interchangeable so you get many kind of pop acts 
in the charts that were incredibly jazzy and you had jazz that was very smooth, kind of George Benson type jazz that you could dance to and you could sing along to. And I really like music that's accessible and that people can dance to and that people can really, it can fire up their imagination, not, not too cerebral. I'm, I'm a big, to me, it's all just rock and roll, really. Um, and whether or not you call yourself jazz or pop or rock or soul, I think just depends on what you, what you listen to and what we're influenced by, really, when, when you grew up and what makes its way into your imagination. So I'd say my, my jazz is very broadly speaking jazz and it's very versatile jazz. Mm. And perhaps each song has its own style. One might be more solely and one might be more poppy, depending on the actual track. Yeah, definitely. So I'm a big fan of Donald Fagan and Steely Dan, and you can really hear that in a lot of my tracks. And I'm a big fan of George Duke and Rachel Farrell, who had such a kind of strong songwriting partnership over the years. And that definitely finds its way into certain tracks. Mm. So what has or who has your inspiration been, do you think, over the years? So many, so many. All of the big jazz and soul dealers of the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and a little bit of the 90s, and then stuff started deteriorating a little bit. Um, I would say I would say people like Shaka Khan, big influence. Yeah, uh, Donald Fagan, Steely Dan, unexpected people like the Doobie Brothers, <laughs> all, all of the Jacksons, Prince, um, Patrice Russian. Uh, I'm very influenced by sing decent singers who can also play. That really, that really means a lot to me, you know. Mm. And have you seen any of those people live? I, I haven't. Um, the, the last person I saw live that really impressed me was Lisa, Lisa Fisher, who was um, the backing singer for Rolling Stones for, for many years and then do, started doing her own solo stuff. Ah, okay. Because uh, I was uh, chatting to Amy Gadiaga, who's an amazing singer and bass player. Um, she yeah. opened the series for Women in Jazz Media at POSC and um, she loves Michael Jackson and I said well I've seen Michael Jackson live and she was like no way so it's quite cool if you get to see the odd person who's um, inspired you live isn't it it is really cool and I actually heard that podcast I had to listen to it before I came on and it is amazing if you can see your actual living legends whilst they're living for example um, Hiromi Uehara who's a Japanese jazz pianist I've seen her twice at the Barbican mm. and that was amazing with Simon Phillips on drums. I mean you know he has these two gigantic drum kits and to see them uh, in in my own lifetime was, was amazing and also Aieto Moriera and Flora Purim I saw them twice in a row at Ronnie Scott's mm. about 10 years ago and it is an incredible feeling yeah you feel like you're part of part of history and Richard Bonner I saw him at um, Ronnie Scott's and yeah, to be up close to people that you know are gonna go down in history as something legendary is is amazing. I'm I'm always kicking myself because I never got to see Prince when he was at Ronnie Scott's. Did you? No, how amazing would that have been? I know, queuing around the block, right? Wow. It is and, and also when you go to those gigs, you do have to kind of take a deep breath and kind of be present 
in the moment of what you're experiencing yeah I think yeah have you got any great gigs to watch coming up have you booked any tickets for anything no I I haven't but I did go and see Aaron um Aaron Aaron Liddard and his crew they just released uh um a wonderful album a wonderful album which had a very deeply emotional effect on me so I went to see them at Hampstead Jazz Club and I'll probably go and see them again mm. but yeah at the moment I'm focused focused on my own my own projects quite a lot yeah. but I do make an effort to go out and see other artists I think it's really important um and I know that Yolanda is at Ronnie's again soon mm. so I uh, probably will go and see her next next chance I can nice. at the late show yeah nice yeah yes I how do you find it when you're in the kind of creative process of writing and recording and do you kind of listen to other people and other artists that you like or do you kind of just slightly go into your own bubble what do you do with the sound that you listen to I I definitely make sure I listen to other people in fact I have this long-term working relationship with this amazing engineer and producer called Felix McIntosh who has a studio called Tiger Sonic Creative Basement Space. And I do my stuff there. And one of the things that we do as a discipline is when we're mixing is we bring in kind of sound swatches of other artists and other recordings. Not so much to be influenced by the songwriting, but to get into the textures of the production. Mm. So for example, I brought in um, a new release by an artist called Judith Hill who was one of the backing singers on Michael Jackson's final tour before he died. And she subsequently became a big star in her own right on the jazz and blues circuit in America. And she is the most incredible guitar player, uh, sort of Lenny Kravitz, Prince style guitar player, but also writes all of her own string arrangements and her own horn arrangements and just does all the kind of production, all the technical stuff on her on her recordings. So that is a really good person to be listening to, having your ears when you're mixing your own stuff, just to keep your ears kind of fresh to new textures and new technologies. So yeah, I, I don't, I'm not one of these artists who, zone, who zones other people out when I'm creating my own stuff. On, on the contrary, I've got like a background um, soundtrack of other decent artists playing all the time. Wow, that's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. And how, <laughs> it is interesting. Yeah. And how nice that you have like that space where you, you kind of both do that together. Cause that, then you must, if you think different things, you can share that, which is really cool, isn't it? Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. It, it keeps you objective and it keeps you looking at what you're doing with an artist's eye. And, and the reason I love recording so much and the reason I've recorded so much independently against even considerable odds I just think no I'm gonna finance this somehow mm. I'm gonna do this album somehow is because when you make something in the studio you're like a potter or an artist you're crafting it with your own hand and then you've got it you've got it and gigging is a living process that's more of a ephemeral thing as you know but there's nothing like creating that product and holding it mm. and how do you go about writing your tracks when you start off Honestly, they write me. I wake up and it's done and I and I just transcribe what I hear. That's the best way I can describe it. Mm. It just comes through from the universe. And I know that sounds a bit 
But honestly, I think if you ask any artist that, they, they might describe something a little bit similar. It comes through us, doesn't it? We're, we're vessels for something bigger that's using us to, to contribute something to the world. That's, that's how it happens with me. So it's not, it's not an effort. I, I would never get, I can't imagine ever having writer's block. And you, we were saying earlier when we were chatting that the, the, the kind of show you're, you're going to be touring this year is kind of a, a mixture of, did you say two albums that you've written? You've got like a whole amazing collection yeah. of works that you're going to be playing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so Soul Retrieval was my release last year and Soul Retrieval is an album that's all based on guitar. So what, how that manifests live is that I lead the first set from the electric guitar and it's quite Latin. It's got quite a Latin kind of feeling, quite a sort of rock and roll feeling. And then the second set is from Soho Nights, which is the new release. And that's all led from the grand piano. And it makes for a really good show because you've got a lot of variety. Hmm. Nice. I actually really love the way you included Soho in the title because it just makes you think jazz, doesn't it? Soho. That's to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and also it's true. Everything I do is true and real and from a real place. And many of the songs on that album I wrote at a bus stop when I was coming back from a late night gig in Soho when I was the in-house piano bar player at the Soho Theatre in Dean Street mm. for, for a number of years. And you know what it's like after a gig, you, you can't switch off and you think, oh, I, I really like this, this new lick I'm developing that I accidentally played, I'll make it into a new, a new song. So it's very creative post gig for me. I often just start writing again. Mm. Yeah, I, after a gig, the worst thing is having a gig close to home, isn't it? Because you get back, let's say in 15 minutes or 20 minutes, and then you don't know what to do with yourself because normally you'd have a bit of a journey to get home and you to kind of debrief and unwind. Yeah. Yeah. You need, you need a good hour's travel back from a gig. <laughs> yeah. I usually get back home from, uh, cause I get, cause I gig down, down my road quite a lot because Bermondsey arts club is close to lose the trek is close. It's all just bus rides away. So exactly what you say, I come home and I can't wind down. So usually if I've got if I've made mistakes in the gig, <clears throat> I go right back to the drawing board and I correct the mistakes. Mm. Yeah, I recently did a gig at, at Jazz Cafe Bosk um, and a few people said afterwards, oh, I couldn't sleep afterwards. It was so inspiring. And I, was, I didn't get to bed till four and I, I was like, oh, my God, you know, that's nuts. You should have just had a strong drink and hit the sack. That's really good, though. That's a really good sign. Yeah, I felt I loved the fact that they told that because, you you know, quite often uh, you, it, it, you leave a gig and sometimes you do get really, really lovely feedback. And that feels lovely to get, doesn't it? Because you just think, oh, just is a bit of a buzz when you get that. Yeah, you, you've got to believe that it's worthwhile and that you're making some kind of difference in people's lives because that's the healing power of music, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And often people don't tell you that stuff. People, it takes quite a lot of confidence to approach an artist and say, look, what you did, it meant something to me. And what you did, it improved my life. And what you did made me so excited and inspired. I didn't sleep till, till dawn. It is good to get that feedback. Yeah. 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 They're a great crowd, crowd at Cafe Posque. You will love it. Have you played there before? No, no. The last time I was there was when I saw you lot do your Dexter Gordon um, 
thing, which was which was great, really great. Yeah, that was a great evening, and it was. Um, and how amazing to have Maxine Gordon there too. I know, yeah. <clears throat> absolutely amazing. Talk talk about living um, living history. Yeah, and the stories she had were amazing. I sat next to her at dinner. I couldn't keep up with all the stories she had. Yeah. She's amazing. So, yeah. so for your gig at POSC, um, is it your normal band you're playing with? How does it how does that work with the musicians you've got booked? I have a kind of rotating band that play with me. I've got my longtime drummer, Ian Newton Grant. He I've played with him for over 20 years now, and he's my he's my first mate. Mm. He's the kind of uh in in he's the first wingman in the pirate crew that is my musical crew. And then I've got Ryan Bakir on guitar, um, who's actually played for people like Little Mix. He's, he, you know, he's very sort of poppy and, and sort of commercial and absolutely brilliant and comes out with the most incredible jazz licks. I've got Harry Gould on bass. Um, he plays with a Jamiroquai um, style band. He's very funky, incredibly funky. And then I have two lovely backing vocalists. And between us, we're going to do a really, really great evening. Great. And a very and a very varied evening as well, I hope. So lots of variety. So when you're doing your album that was guitar led, are they all with you yeah. on that or is it more of a solo set? Uh they're all with me. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. They're all with me. And also on that album I had Tony Kofi on sax for one number and I had a trumpet player called Vicky Flint on trumpet for a couple of numbers. Um, she's based in the Midlands and she play, plays with a big brass band there. And she also sings very beautifully and composes her own stuff. Uh, again, very, very funky. And she plays some lovely kind of almost like mariachi stuff on some of the Latin flavoured stuff on that album. Mm-hmm. So you've had loads and loads of recording experience with all your amazing works. And how, yeah. how does it how's it felt being a female artist? in the world and through 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 kind of the your writing process time which has been a few albums how's that felt for you I never know how to answer this question because I for for me to be a, a woman is a sort of default position I don't think of myself as the unusual one um so it's felt great it's felt really good um I have a variety of lovely people in my life all of different masculine and feminine frequencies. It's all a bit of a mashup. Um, many of the women I know are quite masculine. Many of the men I know are quite feminine. It's a massively multinational, international, multi-gender sort of undertaking where everyone's really nice to everyone else. And yeah, I don't, I don't have any sort of unique perspective as a, as a female necessarily on that particular process the recording process that you've mentioned mm. the kind of collaboration musical process there's other things I could say about being in the world generally um, as a as a human but the recording process and the collaborative process it's all felt really good very good indeed yeah that's really nice to hear yeah yeah well I'm I'm lucky but also I work I work hard at investing in good in good relationships you know and often if you, you if you find yourself in a working relationship working relationship that is not so good for any reason, you just go on to the next one, you know? Yeah. I'm having I'm having a great time in a female body. Mm-hmm. I am. 
I, I chose well in this lifetime. It's a, it's a good vehicle. It's a good vessel. Ask me about other issues in the wider world, and I would have a, I'd have a different story to say, mostly to do with money and making sure that as women we are paid um, and always making sure that we can, we can chase down what we're being paid and make sure it's commensurate with what we've done and make sure it compares to what our male counterparts get. Yeah. In the music world or in general? In the professional world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the professional world in general. Whenever skills are exchanging hands, whenever money is exchanging hands, whenever compensation and recompense is exchanging hands. Because I think that as women, I, I, I never see any massive differences between us all as human beings. We're all just a sort of mashup of different tendencies. But I think as as women, sometimes we care a lot about other people, don't we? We invest a lot in making sure everyone's having a good time. Yep. And often we're, we are very good leaders. We are the leaders. And as leaders, we're caring leaders. And sometimes we overextend ourselves and um, need to look after ourselves as well. Yeah. Yeah, we can be overcarers. Yeah, mm. but, it, but, but that's a good quality. And maybe other people who don't overcare should overcare a little bit more. And then we wouldn't have to overcare so much, if you see what I mean. Mm, I like yeah. that. Yeah, well, I really like women. I, I like women as people and women are my, are my sort of preference in, in sort of very crucial ways. But I also am really passionate about uh, combining the masculine and feminine frequencies. And you can do it in one person or you can do it in a band or you can do it in your friendships. And you certainly use that as a magical process when you create anything. So I really enjoy that process. Yeah. That's a... Sorry, I'm getting all mystical on you. I'm getting very mystical on you today, Hannah. I love that. I hope you don't mind. It's just no, d- my natural way of being. <laughs> I definitely don't mind. I love that. <laughs> and um, and so how do you feel? I often ask this question, and I think about this actually. Um, often when I'm out on my bike, I um, after about 40 minutes when I've my head's become free of everything, I was thinking about all these ideas coming to my head. Uh, so to, this morning was one of these uh, 20 mile thoughts and I was thinking oh I wonder how everybody as an artist feels about the whole social media thing do you feel there's a, a pressure do you like to do it do you feel you have to do it how do you feel about the social media and what you need to do as an artist to get your music out there or to let people know about gigs how does that work mm-hmm. in your with you well, it's something that I've got reasonably good at because out of necessity. However, I think that social media as a phenomenon, we're kind of reaching peak saturation with it and it's got massive implications for people's mental health mm. and people's, people's energy management. And it can be a massive waste of time and it can be massively draining. And also I find it very stressful looking at a computer screen for for too long makes my eyes hurt makes my brain start to start to melt so I must say I'm not I'm not a great fan of it really but I do I do the minimum that I need to in order to communicate with people and in order to do enough music promotion but yeah I do I do find it a challenge and yeah do you find that you've had to become more engaged with it in the last couple of years yeah of course 
of course I have. Mm. Yeah, and I'm and many people would say I'm still not as engaged with it as I should be in order to get taken seriously. But the price that I would pay would be my sanity. So I ha I do I do as much as I need to, and then I and then I cut off and I say no more. For example, I'm one of the few people in the world that I know that doesn't have a smartphone. I never got on that whole thing. It just never happened. Yep. Your viewers can't see. Oh, yeah, look at you that. Can. <laughs> I'm holding up a very tiny, 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 basic Nokia phone. I love it. It, it. it does the bare minimum. And for anything else I need, I'll use a laptop. Yeah. But this whole Instagram phenomenon, um, I think it can just be a massive, massive drain. Mm. Because I, come, I don't know if it's a generational thing because I come from a different era where people didn't have this stuff. We didn't, we didn't have anything other than the basic radio and TV with three channels and then, and then four channels. And we did other stuff, you know? Yeah. We just played our instruments for hours and hours and hours and we spent time in nature. And nature is the real computer. Nature is the real internet. Nature is the real intelligence. And people who are not spending any time in nature because they're just on their phones, they're paying a price. And I'm lucky because I'm discerning enough that I know I'm paying a price if I get if I get into that frame of mind. I feel myself rebel against it really, really quickly. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a poison chalice. It's a poison chalice, people. Don't fall for it. Yeah, I think um, I've noticed, I, I was chatting to somebody about a year ago who's in promotions and they said, they felt as though at some point the social media was going to, as you say, reach saturation. And what would we do if overnight it was all lost and how many artists don't have a mailing list? They don't have any way of contacting their their fans other than on social media. And I've noticed a lot more websites now when you go on them, they want you to join their mailing list, which I think so maybe people are all starting to feel that a little bit. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good because because we're not in a sustainable place with it. And like you say, if it did go down, we'd have to revert to being more human. But again, I grew up in an era where you didn't have any of it. You just went down the local music venue and you looked at a poster or a flyer and then you went and caught some live music and then you mess up with people in real time and you did real things with a proper attention span. And it seemed to work fine, didn't it? So it will work fine again if it all does go down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very uh, weird beast in a way, isn't it? But uh, it's a good tool for us to let people know about what we're up to. Yeah, of course. All these things are tools. It's just whether people are using them in a discerning, discerning way. And like all tools, you've got to use the tool, not let the tool use you, because then you become a tool and nobody wants to be a tool. Mm. It's like Prince said, use the computer, don't let the computer use you. Get on the Internet, don't let the Internet get on you. And he was on the cusp of that culture change, wasn't he? Mm. Of doing things in a very organic way. And then the downloading culture kind of came in just as he was retreating into his his cave, I suppose. Mm. Mind you, he's still releasing stuff from the grave somehow, and I've got some of it, so, yeah. Amazing. He's, he, stood the, he stood the test of time. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So um, when you've been on stage, obviously you have had 
humongous number of gigs and shows. Uh, do you have any memorable stories? <laughs> yeah, of course. Let us let us know some that uh, that that are, <laughs> that are you know like that we can broadcast. <laughs> um. Yeah, I've got I've got loads. Uh, I mean, some of them are quite bittersweet, you know, because that's that's the the musician's lifestyle. Um, I had a very memorable gig at the Cobden Club years ago, years ago. I don't know if you remember the Cobden Club. It's out in Labrick Grove. It's a beautiful old sort of 1960s building. And there was a collective of musicians putting on their own nights. And I think they relocated to the Bedford after that. But I remember doing a, yeah, a gig with my with my band and we got told off massively because it was a singer-songwriter singer night. And even though what I do is singer-songwriterly, my tracks are like seven minutes long, you know, or they certainly were in those days. So we got told off quite badly for being too, too jazzy. Um, and also, cause we all wear suits and ties. That's the sort of look that I have on stage. Um, we got mistaken for security. <laughs> But I have this quality about me, especially in a suit and tie. People think I'm the maitre d' or people think I'm the <laughs> the uh, the manager. And yeah, my my drummer and my bass player got mistaken for security guards, which was uh, yeah a little little bit annoying. And then we all had to pile in a big van on the way on the way back to get back, and that was a a good fun journey. Yeah, and we had a big we had a big outing to the Isle of Wight Jazz Festival in those days when when the Isle of Wight Jazz Jazz Festival was still going on. And that was, yeah, I've had some good road trips, some good road trips with my musicians. They're like my family, really. You know what it's like. You're, who you play music with becomes your, they do become your soul family, whether or not you, whether or not they like it, it that's just the way it is. Yeah. You're going to be spending so much time with them. And there's, it's quite an intimate thing, making music with people. So, yeah, you bond, you bond over this stuff. Mm. That's, that's what I found anyway. And with that feeling of bond, when you when you're writing a track, you said it comes to you rather than you know you kind of have to think hard about it. But do you do you give the band a finished idea, or do you give them like a kind of skeleton of your idea, and then you all kind of collaborate in with that? How does that work? I give them a finished idea. It's very much my ship. I'm very much the captain. They do, they do what I give them to do, but I will say within this structure, you can use what scales you like. Bring me some, um, bring me some nice sort of melodic lines or give me a sort of a slightly more kind of grungy feeling. But yeah, it, I do give them the finished product. And because I know my players quite well, I, and because I love them so much, I find myself sometimes composing something that I think this will really please this player to play. Mm. You know, this will inspire them. This is very much their style and they will love playing it. So I compose with them in mind. Yeah, but it's not a collaborative thing in that in that sense. There's there's one boss and it's me. Right. Mm -hmm. And when you're not writing and performing, what do you do to chill out? I get out in nature if I can. I run, I lift weights. I used to do a lot of martial arts and I still have that kind of thing in me. Um, I'm very athletic, I get restless. I need, to, I need to run a lot. Ideally, I'd be running every day. So, so that's a really good way to chill out. 
people don't realize that running is not just physical it's a mental thing because when you're running a bit like maybe when you're when you're cycling if you cycle a lot your brain can just stream out of your ears and go on its own journey so so mentally it's very good so yeah anything anything physical I like to do that to relax mm. and when you're running somebody asked me this the other day another musician but my cycling they said do you always cycle the same route I was like yep the same way the same route because I find it a kind of meditation and I see it changing from day to day you know the surroundings but I always cycle the same route would you always run the same route yeah I tend to mm. yeah for the same reason for the same reason you let your mind run run around a grid yeah and and you can often you can often solve problems that way yeah and like you say if you run the same route but you do it over the seasons you see leaves changing you see different animals you see different routines of of nature and that's very that's very healing I've got this amazing duck on my cycle ride and this year she had two I'm going to say batches that's probably the wrong word of ducklings they all lived so she must have had about 20 offspring and they waddle along the road and she does this every year she's amazing my Instagram always has a picture of uh, of these ducks and her new ducklings she's just the best mum ever I loved I love that time of year always look out for yeah. her <laughs> special yeah yeah observing things in nature is very integrating isn't it yeah yep yep so i don't know if you've listened to uh many of my in conversation with podcasts but at the end of it i always ask two hannah questions do you know what they might be if you've listened to them did you, did you have you heard any no because i've not listened to the ends i've listened to the beginnings of the podcast but not the end oh, so good. you're going to surprise yeah, me I'm with something give me a surprise but, but before we sign off, I just want to say thanks so much for coming to chat to me in between Christmas and New Year, which is a bit of a weird. I didn't really know what day it was today. It's such a weird time, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is a really weird time. It is. Yeah. 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 And no, my pleasure. Thank you. And I hope that your gig goes really well um, at Jazz Cafe Posk, which is on the 6th Thank of you. January, everybody. Yep. Do come along. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And lots of musicians. What? Guitar, what did you say? Guitar? You, another guitar, bass, drums, two singers? Uh, two backing singers, yeah. And then, yeah, so I'll be, I'll be playing electric guitar. I'll be playing my one of my lovely blue Ibanez electric guitars in the first set, and then I'll be playing grand piano in the second set. Mm. Yeah. So six of you, is that right? Uh, let's see. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Nice. In for a treat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and thanks for... Thanks for having me. Oh, that's been great. So my two Hannah questions. The first one is, um, what's your desert island disc and why? Uh, is it an album or is it a single that I'm allowed on my desert island? You can have either. Your choice. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, obviously then yeah. I'll go for an album because yeah. there's more tracks. Um I would like the first Rufus and Shaka Khan album. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because it's the one I, I sort of default to that every time I want a really good feeling. And it hasn't dated. I mean, it, I mean, it has. I mean, you're clearly in the 1970s when you, when you listen to it. But the musicianship is fantastic. And the songs are great. And the production is great. And it's a really good feel, good factor. And also the sleeve is beautiful. 
so I can look at the wonderful black and white photos of everyone on the sleeve and dance whilst I listen to it. Ah, oh, nice. Okay, and the final question. What is your favourite time signature? My favourite time signature? Um, you'll, want, you'll be wanting me to say something kind of a little bit, um, I don't know, artistic no, no, and just go with, sophisticated. Go with what's you? Well, like I say, I'm a, I'm, a pop, I'm a pop musician at the end of the day. So something really funky that I can dance to. So we're talking four on the floor with a classic funk kind of right into the groove. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I've, I have just done a lovely arrangement of, um, of take five. So you might be thinking, ah, five, four. And I do, I do love five, four. And I gravitate very naturally to five, four. It feels very, it feels just like four, four to me, <laughs> only five. And also because, the, because of the way my songs are, I'm always randomly including bars of five, four. As, as pivots mm -hmm. and segues. However, no, give me something funky. Give me something funky. Give me an old, an old 1970s Pointer Sisters track any day that I can, that I can dance to. Funky 445. Yeah. yeah. And how, how, how about you? How, you must have got that question from somewhere, something in you that is thinking about fa favourite time signatures. <laughs> well, the way I got this question was uh, when uh, I gave, we met up, for recording well to rehearse before the album we met up in lockdown in the studio and uh, they kept saying not another one in three four not another six eight so that's obviously what I naturally gravitate to that kind of dancey light six eight feel that's what I really love uh, and I was like oh, oh yeah. sorry you know they were like no no we're only joking but it was literally like one after the other <laughs> <laughs> so that's my favorite time signature it just sort of comes out of me yeah, it's got a swing, a swinger. Yeah, yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So thank you yeah. so much for coming on to chat with me today. And thank you so much. We look forward to your gig at Jazz Cafe Posk on the 6th of January. Lovely. Me too. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the podcast today, Women in Jazz Media. We have a great pack catalogue of podcasts with amazing women, including Claire Martin OBE. Tatiana Gorolovsky, Colette Cooper and many more. Please do check them out and I'll see you at the next one. Bye!